Pray for us. Father, I thank, <coughs> thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you, God, that your promises are true and that your mercies are new every morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a gift to us and that your word reveals who you are. It reveals your character. It reveals truth, the person of truth. I thank you, Father, that it is not by coincidence that we are here. I pray, Father, that nothing would come to thwart your plans for today, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we come into this time, that we would come expecting and that we would walk away changed as we are in your presence, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully all this will work this morning. So now that we walked around by faith, let's release the glory of the Lord in this place. Hallelujah. Anybody want the glory of the Lord in this place? Come on, say, God, we want your glory. Come on, open up your mouths and say, God, we want your glory. Come on, tell them, God, we want your glory. We want your manifested presence, your power. Come on, petition the Lord for his glory.
Oh 
Cause there's a light left in you to do for me. Now that you're broken, he says there's a light left in you. To do for me now that you're broken. Oh, I hear you. Say, how could you use me when you know this and that about me? But there's a lot left to do. Surrender, surrender my, whole, my, whole, my whole life to you. 
God, that your word says that you are for us and not against us. That your mercies are new every morning. That your love endures forever. I pray for each of us today, God, as we open your word, God, that we would, Father, be attentive to hear and obedient to respond. That that would be our prayer, God. That we would surrender our whole life to you. Your word says, God, that we will find you if we seek you with our whole heart. So I pray, God, that we will put aside the cares of this day, of this last week, or even the pressures of tomorrow. God, we would just settle ourselves here and now in your presence to focus our hearts, our minds, and our eyes on you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as a fellowship, as a family, to be encouraged and to encourage each other, to continue to endure, to continue to persevere. Thank you, God, that we can rest assured that you know the plans that you have for each of us, God. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. We pray for Gilda today as she is not feeling well and is not with us, God, that you would strengthen and heal her body. And Father, as she is resting, God, that you would just comfort her and strengthen her and give her peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning to everyone. We started last week opening up the Word. And started in Genesis, moved to Matthew, went back to Psalms, and then in, in Proverbs. And that's kind of kind of be what it's going to be like over the next, as Carrie calculated it, seven years. <laughs> we're actually going to walk through the Bible. And we're going to walk through it together. But we're going to kind of move around and not just stay in one book, if you would. We're going to do some of the old, some of the new Psalms and Proverbs. And I'm encouraged by it, and as I was encouraging us last week, to return back to our love, our first love. And as we've been talking about on Friday nights, how Christians should live. Not because man says this is how a Christian should live. No, because the Word of God declares how the conduct of a Christian should be. And we are continually admonished in the Word of God to examine our hearts. Are you of the faith? And we talked about that on Friday night as well. It was pointed out how sad it would be to sit among the brethren holding a form of religion, but yet denying his power 
and never partaking of who he is. To end up, to stand before him, and for him to say, I never knew you. Jesus, you all. He lays out this understanding of how one should live who is following him. We get a clear understanding of the call of a disciple. And as we open up his word and we read it from beginning to end, we're going to get an understanding of truly who he is. His plan of redemption. His plan to reveal himself to mankind through his son Jesus. The hope. The hope that we find in Jesus. The good news of the gospel. That we are to be taking out into the cities, into our cities, and into other countries, into every which where our feet will tread, that we will proclaim the good news. Of Jesus. We live in a time and a day and an age, and we hear it over and over how desperate the times and the day and the age is, how great rebellion is out there, and how great deception is. But we, as the children of God, are not to partake of the rebellion and of the deception. No, because we have been born again, and we talked about that last week, to be born again. And from the book that I read last week, and the, the little part of it, it was so encouraging, because he says just because a tiger restrains, or the tiger is restrained, he is still a tiger. You can do all the good works and try to be all good as you want, but you're still sinful. If you have not been born again of the new nature. So many times we, we choose to allow sin to be our master. But we must remember in Romans 6. We are no longer a slave to sin. That we are to be a slave to righteousness. And I was encouraging us on Friday night. That we've got to stop pretending or, or making excuses. About why we remain enslaved to sin. Either the Christian life is obtainable, or it's not. Either he is who he says he is, and he accomplished what he said has been accomplished, or he didn't. I choose to believe, and I hope that you have chosen to believe, that what he came to do, he accomplished. And who he says he is, he is. And the hope that we have to live a life born of a new nature. And like the author wrote last week when I was reading, he says it is the born again life is I like of the caterpillar. It dies. But yet in that death springs forth such a newness of life. The butterfly no longer crawls. What it used to do, it doesn't do any longer because it's a whole new creation. And so it is with a Christian. So it is with a Christian. We are not 
to partake of the things we used to partake of. And I know each of us still has the old man inside. The Bible even says that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. Oh, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And he gives us what we need, the Word of God says in Second Peter, that He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. And if we would add, and if you go and you read Second Peter, as I was reading it to you on Friday night, go back and read to that what you will add to your faith. And if you add these virtues and attributes to your faith, you will not fall away. You will mature. And that's what it's about, maturing, not perfection. But maturing. It's about recognizing when the old man is screaming at you. When the old man is presenting you itself to react in. That you consider yourself dead. But alive in Christ. Now how then should I live? Not of the old, but of the new. And I encourage us last week. That we are to live lives in complete union with God. Remember, I ended it last week with God with us. And I encouraged each of you to go this week and live as such. God with you. God with you. God with you. We read last week of how he created man. His purpose to have a people that he will call his own and that they in return will call him their God. God with us. I want you to reflect upon your week. And I don't want you to hear condemnation and shame and guilt. But I do pray for each of us that we would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that would draw us to repentance. What sin did you go back to this week? What choices did you make that didn't honor Him? These are questions that we need to get before us to allow him to examine our heart. See, it's no, we can't continue just to play the game or play Christianity. No, we've got to be Christians. We've got to choose each and every single day and throughout our day to honor him. The sin that we have found ourselves captivated by is the sin that we've given ourselves to because we chose to. And it's not because of what others did to us. It's not because of anything else, but because we chose to submit to that. We choose 
No one can force us. We choose how we will act and what we give ourselves to. We choose to be our own God. To be God. Over our lives and possibly even over others. But that is not our place. Nor should it continue to be our place. We should live lives yielded to the Holy Spirit, given to Christ Jesus, lives that are honoring Him, lives that are allowing others to see that we are in union with God, a relationship with Jesus, even in our failures, even when we fall, that we get up. That we get up. That they see His redemptive work in our life and they long for what we have. That you can then begin to, to declare the goodness of God and honoring Him and serving Him. And so as we open up the Scriptures this morning, this is my hope that we will see as a people of God that we need a revival of the heart towards the things of God. Towards the things of God. And not seeking the things of this life to fill us. Not seeking the emotional drama to fulfill us. But truly seeking Him to complete us. Because in Christ, there's nothing missing. There's nothing broken. And, and I've been encouraging us in that. Do you see yourself in that position, in Christ? Because that's where the Bible says a believer is. In Christ. Or do you see yourself still broken? Are you living out of your brokenness? Are you living out of your past? Are you living out of the unforgiveness? Are you living out of uh, the lust? Are you living out of whatever it is that you're living out of that defines you in brokenness? Don't settle for brokenness, you all. When Christ has come to heal your every wounds, to set you free from the enslavement and the torment of sin because of the fall. Sin. Rebellion towards God. But even in that, God is sovereign. The fall of man did not take God by surprise. You see, the plan of redemption was already in place even before the creation of the earth and of the world. Redemption. Such great love being displayed for all creation to see. God's Son to lay down His life. Ah, it's beautiful. Let's go to chapter 3 of Genesis. This is where we're going to pick up this morning.
And as I did last week, and as I'll continue to do, I'm going to read through the scriptures, and then I'm going to kind of just go over the notes that I've taken in my time of study to encourage us. <clears throat> we're going to pick up here in chapter 3, and we're going to read um, through chapter 4, verse 26. So bear with me as we go through this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from, I'm sorry, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Listen to this, verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve. They had a beautiful relationship with God. And yet, they chose to go their way. They were convinced by what the enemy lured them into that it would be better for them to rule themselves. And isn't it funny that we see that once they bid in and they, and they gave in to what they chose to do, right away they felt the shame. And they tried to cover it up. It's no different than what we do. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man... And his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. 
And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Notice that when they heard God, they hid. I don't know about you, but there's been many seasons in my life as I've walked with God that I've hid from God because of the guilt and the shame and the sin that so easily entangles me. But yet God calls us. He calls him out. God knew where he was. But there's something about us responding to God when he calls. And if we would only hear what he has said to them, who told you blank? Whatever you're going through. Who told you that's who you are? That's how you should be acting. Whose lies are you believing? Because God has so much more for you. So much more. And even here, we see that Jesus was prophesied. The Messiah. There will come one who's going to crush your head. It was established because it had already been purposed. All of this has to take place. And this is what I want to encourage us as we're reading through the Bible. All of this, everything has to take place. He is in complete control. The enemy just didn't show up on his own. No, God allowed him in. God's sovereignty. <clears throat> then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your, I'm sorry, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. In your life, you will struggle, all of your life you will struggle to scratch a living, I'm sorry, to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat of it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. Consequences of our sin. 
And I've been reminded this week of the scripture where it says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Throw it off. You already have the victory over it. So throw it off. But even in the throwing it off, understand there's always consequences to our actions. Always consequences. But don't allow the consequences of the actions to keep you holding back from God. No, pursue Him. Seek Him. We now pick up in chapter 4. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to a brother and named him Abel. To his brother, named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain re responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished. From the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work. From now on you will be homeless. Wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord. My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give you a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Majul. Majul became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah became the father of Lamech, and Lamech married two women. The first one, I'm sorry, the first was named Adah, and the second one was Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raised livestock and lived in tents. His brother's was named, his name was Jubal, the first of all who played the harp and the flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubalcain, who became an expert in foreign, for, forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubalcain had a sister named Nama. One day, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. 
If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished seventy-seven times. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again and gave birth to another son. She named him Seth. For she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, who Cain killed. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, the people first, I'm sorry, at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Genesis chapter 3 and 4. What can we take away from it? Well, we see here that the serpent has deceived. He twists God's word. And then he entices us, as he does then, as he does today, as he did then, to go our own way. From the fall, not only have we been separated from God, and we're no longer in union with him, before we come to Jesus, mankind not only has separated, but mankind has now inherited the understanding between good and evil. But if you have not accepted Jesus, it doesn't matter how good you do, or how much good you know, because there's a lot of good people going to hell separated from God for eternity. You see, God has made provision for mankind through the blood of Jesus. Just as God covered Adam and Eve with the skins of the animals that he slain, that first blood that was spilled was only a sign of the blood that would come to cover all sin through Jesus. And so we have hope in Christ. We have hope in the Messiah. We have hope in Jesus to be restored back to God. To no longer to partake of the nature in which we have been born into, but now to partake of the nature that we have been born into because of Christ and accepting Him. It amazes me as I read this account that the enemy didn't entice Eve to eat of the tree of life first. He enticed her to eat of the tree of good and evil. As I sit and I ponder that, I thought, you would have thought that he would have maybe given her the opportunity to eat that, and then given her the opportunity to eat the fruit of good and evil. Because then she would live forever, and then she would know good and evil, and she would have the understanding and be God herself. But God's sovereignty. See, God only allows the enemy to go so far as he did with Job. He enticed Eve to become like God. To know the things that God knows. Enticed her as if God was holding something back from her. And she was convinced, the Bible said. <clears throat> she was convinced to go her way. I don't think he really could have enticed her with the tree of life because Eve never knew or had an understanding what death was. Plus it wasn't God's plan for him to entice her with anything else but with the tree of knowledge. What is he enticing you with? What does he creep in 
and entice you with that you were convinced is better for you than what God has for you. That's where we need to be careful of you all. That we do not give ear to the enemy or to the things of this world or even to the desires of our flesh. We already know that the flesh only knows how to do one thing and that's to die. And that's why it drags us to the very things that are willing and waiting to kill us. Redemption, as I said earlier, wasn't an afterthought. It was already purposed. It was already laid out. The cross was already laid out and planned even before God spoke the earth into an existence. That is such great hope, you all. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like, oops, look what they did. Now let's think of something to fix this. No, it was already purpose. God is in control, and that's what we can take such comfort in, you all. Is in control. I don't know what you're facing today, what you will face tomorrow, but does your life reflect that He is in control? Or are you so scattered all over the place? It's so easy to get caught up. I've been there myself in everything the brouhaha, the chaos. But God is in control. Do we believe Him? Do we walk by faith or are we bound by fear? Do we trust him that he will work all things out for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Do we trust the fact that no matter what is pressing up against us, it cannot crush us? That no matter what comes against us, that God is for us. How do you encourage yourself? How do you fan the flame of your faith when things are coming against you? Because in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. For I have already overcame the world. So why that which has been overcame are we allowing to master us? When he is our master. When he is our hope. Oh, there's so much I could talk about Cain and Abel, but the only lesson I really want us to take away today is the lesson that Cain learned. God said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Listen to that. If you do what is right, but if not, Sin is crouching at your door. This is from the beginning, you all. God is making it plain to mankind. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to master you. To, I love the word from that translation I read from, to subdue you. But you, God says, must master it. I want you to think about that as you go through your week. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to subdue you, to master you. But you must master.
God's master is. Not in and of your own strength, but in the power and the provision that God has given you through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That your new life in Christ is a life dependent upon Him. No matter how hard I strive, no matter how hard you strive to do good, we can't. But as we seek Him, as we apply the word of God to our lives, you just can't be a hearer of the word. You have to be a doer of it. The word has to be put in action into your life. If not, what life do you have then but the life you knew before Christ? The ugliness of your ways. Master it. It's under your feet. It's not what you identify any longer with. No matter how it's screaming inside you to go its way, you better stand firm. The Bible says he makes a way out of every temptation. I want us to think about that. Of every temptation. He makes a way out of. That's why we must learn. Learn to be still and to know that He is God. To seek Him and to ask Him before we put our hands to something, before we re speak from our mouth, before we carry on. Like to truly know God. Like from the beginning. God is laying this out for us to have an understanding. And look, did you see how this scripture ended? I love how it ended. It says here, it declares that at this time men began to call on the name of the Lord. Praise God. That was such hope when I read that last portion of scripture. No matter how far man has gone, and we'll see that all throughout Scripture, no matter how far man has gone on their own, God still shows up and draws man to himself. And throughout every generation, there has been a remnant of people who have called upon the name of the Lord. Praise God. That is such hope. And we see, you're going to see it. If you haven't ever read through the Bible before, you're going to see it as we're reading through it. Mankind draws to God. And then for whatever reason, they decide to go back their own way. They didn't, they didn't learn from the last time, so they go right back around. But God is relentless in his love for us to continue to reveal himself to us. I mean, even in the end, in Revelation, we read that even in the end, when all hell is hitting this earth, God is trying to reveal himself to mankind, but mankind will scream back with their fists raised, you're not God. Let that not be said of us, or anyone in this room. 
that you would continue to live a life going your way, raising your fists, you're not God. And you say, well, I'm not to that extreme. No, but your, your bad attitude, your right that you keep giving to yourself is saying that and declaring it. Rather, you want to believe it or not. And that's why we must examine ourselves. Are you truly of the faith? Is your conduct of one who has given their life to Christ, who is in complete union and in relationship with God? Because the reality is, there is an eternal hell for those who continue to go their way, to remain in rebellion. And that's not where we want to be. Not when God has provided such a way to be with him for eternity. Jesus says to abide in him. For apart from him, we could do nothing. So I pray that you would go back this week and go back through Genesis 3 and 4. Meditate on it. Read through it. How would he speak to you to encourage you through this week to continue to grow and to mature? Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Verse 13 is where I'm starting. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, stay there until... I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord has spoken. Through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious. When he realized that the wise men how outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with, with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Achilles, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. Joseph, you all. God spoke, and did you see twice when the angel spoke? To Joseph, Joseph's response. Look at this here. Verse 13. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. 
<clears throat> Verse 20, get up, the angel said. And Joseph got up. He obeyed. And so here's my application point for us this week. Get up. Wherever you find yourself, get up. And go where God is leading you. Do what God is calling you to do. Do what is right. Obey. So many times we stay stuck. God speaks and we stay stuck. And it's our choice. I'm telling you, years ago, when the reality really hit me, that what was going on and everything and everything around me, <laughs> it was my choice to respond to it all. Choice. Our free will. God does not strip us of that. But it's a choice every single day to obey Him, to follow Him, to get up. Stop staying enslaved and wandering aimlessly, confused, frustrated, angry, unforgiving, filled with lust, filled with whatever. Get up. So many times we're seeking and we're seeking and we're praying and we're praying and God is speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and we still haven't moved. I remember years ago when God spoke so clear to my heart, be quiet. Be quiet. And it was such a powerful lesson just to learn to be quiet. Just be quiet. Stop Stop fault finding. Stop murmuring, Rob. Be quiet. Wow. So many times we get so caught up with life that our soul is so disturbed. Sometimes we just need to enter into a season of just remaining rest, oh my soul, in God and in God alone. We get so worked up. Can't we see that's exactly what the enemy wants? That's exactly what the world wants. That's exactly what the flesh wants, is to get us so stirred up. Joseph could have got so stirred up with all the events that were taking place. But when he was told to get up, he got up. He obeyed. In those days, John the Baptist came. And I'm going to read through verse 6 of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to Judea wilderness, to the Judean wilderness, and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near 
The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, from all of Judea, and all over Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the river Jordan. And yet again, we see God's sovereignty. In all, the, in all the matters we just read, he's controlling all of the events. We also see here that the enemy is bent on killing. Remember Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come to give life. And in this scene, this horrible scene of what these families had to endure, Herod slain all of those babies in hopes to do away with the Messiah. It was prophetic. And we see prophecy being fulfilled. <clears throat> that prophecy was from Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Jeremiah spoke that prophecy that was read. We see prophecy being fulfilled when it says that Jesus will become a Nazarene. As I was sharing with Norma and Carrie last night, that's one of the only prophecies you'll find in Scripture that a specific prophet is not mentioned given. Because it was, it was kind of well known that the prophets, it was a saying of the prophets, that he will come from Nazareth, the Messiah would come from Nazareth. And then we see in Isaiah 40, chapter 3, I mean, chapter 40, verse 3, the prophetic prophecy about John the Baptist, the one who would come to prepare the way. And isn't it interesting, though, that in preparing the way for Christ to come, what was his message? Repent. Repent. Turn from your ways and turn to God. Repent. And people began to confess their sins. It's beautiful. Yet we see in both of these chapters, or both of these readings, at the end of them, in Genesis and as of now, people are turning to God. Wow. Let's go to Psalm 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And again, I would encourage you to take time this week and go back through the verses of Matthew. But in Psalm 2, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Wow. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them. 
terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, your kings act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Listen to this. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all of your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. Wow. Psalm 2. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord. Do you see the intent of the, of the, of the, of the rulers of the earth? They think it's slavery to serve God. They only want to serve themselves as it has been since the fall. Mankind wants to go their way. But God is reminding us that's not the way to go. That is not the way to go. Nations and people will conspire and plot in vain against God, but he will have the last word. Mankind is constantly be reminded and drawn to God's truth, but people continue to refuse to come to him and receive his salvation. They would rather go their way and remain in rebellion towards him, acting as if they are God. He warns them of his great wrath and rebukes them, but they refuse to listen, so their fate is one as an enemy of God. But as I've said before, before we start pointing our fingers at the wicked, <laughs> point them at yourself. Are you just like them? It's funny how people sit in church and instead of having compassion on the wicked, tear the wicked down and begin to puff themselves up. How sad. That's not the example of Jesus. Jesus has come to serve. And who are we to think we're greater than our master? Who are we to look at the world and curse them and blame them? Oh, we must remember that we too, before Christ, was just one of them. And we shouldn't puff ourselves up. No, we should humble ourselves low and remain low and serve them. Even if they spit upon us and beat us, mock us, or whatever, we are to be like Christ. And isn't it interesting that when he was being beaten, when he was being spit upon, when chunks of flesh were being ripped out of him, he said not a word. We must grow up and mature 
in our faith. There's a dying world. They don't need us cursing them. They need us loving them. Not going along their way with them. Not acting like them. But being among them, loving them, and serving them. Giving them hope. to encourage us as you're reading through Psalm 2 that God listen to the hope blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord do not be like the wicked who are in rebellion towards God take refuge in him and in that refuge don't point your finger at the wicked no, seek God for how you can love them. How you can encourage them. Don't grow weary in doing good. Did y'all hear that? So the scripture says, don't grow weary in doing good for in due time. For in due time. So many times we have too many conditions on our serving others. And we need to get rid of that attitude. I've been there multiple times. A lot of you know, there's many times in my life, I, I, discouragement is my biggest downfall. I can grow so discouraged, I'm ready to throw my hands up and say, God, it is not even worth it. It's exhausting. And then God reminds me, you get there because you begin to put conditions. You want it to turn out how you want it to turn out. But will you just trust me? But you're not moving fast enough, God. Oh, but my, you forget that my timing is perfect. And I find myself at a place of repentance. Oh, God, forgive me. I don't want it about me. I don't want it about my timing or what I, my expectations of others. God, I just want to trust you. Take refuge in him, you all. Stop running from him. Stop taking control over what he's trying to sovereignly bring together. Trust in his sovereignty. Release yourself from it. And take refuge. Let's go to Proverbs and in there today. Proverbs 1. Two verses, seven and nine. <clears throat> <Huh>. <clears throat> Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. As I read these few verses here, I became so broken. 
or we're families. Over our generation that's coming up and how they refuse correction, how they refuse discipline, how families have been stripped apart, how families are trying to be redefined, and all along our children are suffering. Our youth is paying the price of our foolishness as adults. And we're handing them over to complete rebellion in hell. How sad. But we can find hope as the church in Christ. And we can find hope as Christians to begin to offer and extend to broken families and broken children hope. They need to see it in us. If the children are not seeing it in us, then our religion is of no use. If they cannot see that there is hope in Christ through our lives, through our actions, through even our failures, then what are we offering them? And if we're not correcting, if we're not disciplining, then what are we doing? We've got to be the people of God who are honoring God, who are honoring families, who are trusting in God, and we're encouraging our youth to seek God. It amazes me when I hear the reports that there's children in America who have never heard the name of Jesus in our own nation. And yet we're a nation of such wealth, if you would, of Christian material. In every church that you can possibly think of, on every corner. And yet, our youth groups, our Christian schools, look no different than the world. And what are we doing? God have mercy. God have mercy. Oh, that we would take refuge and we would find hope in Christ. And in that, that we would be purposeful to impact families, to impact the lives of children and of youth. It's a hard laboring out there, it's not easy. When you commit to that, it's not easy. You will find yourself drained and exhausted, broken for what you see going on. But we can't give up. And we can't continue to curse them. And we can't continue just to say what we want to say and get so entangled with it. No, we can be involved, but we have to be on the outside, not becoming enslaved to what's going on on the inside. We have to be the hope that is crying out into the wilderness. And we have to bring correction and discipline. We have to come alongside families and, and parents and, and children and, and, and speak truth. 
pray for these ministries that, that are, have such a burden to, to help families with different materials. Pray for families, you all. And for mothers, for grandmothers, for caretakers that are in this room, there's a job to do. And you're to do honoring God. You're entrusted. You're entrusted. For you boys in this room, don't hate being corrected. Don't hate discipline. It'll help guard your life. You won't go the way of the wicked. You need that. You need correction. You need to be disciplined. It's out of love for you. So these few proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The Bible is very clear on what a fool is. A fool is one that says there is no God. And when you despise wisdom and discipline, you're a fool. And that goes for all of us. Don't live as if there's no God. Don't go your way. Now, seek Him. Seek Him. And you will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. God is revealing Himself to us yet again. He's drawing us to himself. The question is, is how are we responding? Think about that as you go from this place this week. God with you. Think about it. Am I still choosing my way? Or am I choosing to surrender? his way. Death is never easy. Dying to self is not easy. But it's a choice that must be made in order to honor God. Others are watching. And I'm going to close with this reminder of what the scripture says. And we've talked about this before here. Scripture doesn't tell us to stay away from the wicked, from the lost. They need us among them to be the light. The only group of people that Scripture warns Christians to stay away from are those who say that they're Christians and their conduct does not follow suit. The Bible says to have nothing to do with those who say that they are of God, but they deny His power. Don't even eat with such a person. 
Examine our hearts, you all. Don't hold a form of religion. Just don't do the works. Religion does not save you. Christ saves you. Jesus saves you. Faith in Christ and in Christ alone keeps you. Turn to Him. Repent of your ways. And honor Him in all you say and do. Allow your conduct to become that of one who is in right standing with God. So don't beat yourselves up. Don't waller around in shame and condemnation. As I said before, when you're wallowing around in shame and condemnation, your focus is still on you. I just can't be. I'm just no good. I'm just this. I'm just that. No. Feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you into repentance to heal your wounds, to bind up the brokenhearted, to open the blind eyes. The captives will be set free. There's freedom, you all. And by God, it's time that we start declaring it. It's time that we believe it. Freedom. No longer chained. No longer enslaved. But a freedom that comes only from Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm going to close with this last song, and then I'll close this in prayer.